Welcome, everybody. I am Jesse Mogul, and thank you for joining us on the American Contingency Podcast. We are a united nationwide community of steadfast Americans ready for any challenge that comes our way. We're here to inform you, equip you, and train you so you can be prepared to respond and recover from any man-made or natural disaster or situation. Once again, I have Tom Rigsby here. Not only did we do the pilot together, we're doing the next couple episodes together because he's got a ton of information about what American Contingency is doing in our communities as a nationwide network. And, I mean, bottom line is, he's the executive director. The guy's got a ton of awesome stories. How am I not going to bring him back? Welcome to the show again, Tom hey. Rigsby. Hey, Jesse. Good to be back. <laughs> right to it. What inspired you to work with American Contingency? That's a great question and one I love to answer. You know, I, I said in the pilot that we started, literally started in the comments of a YouTube video. That video was by Mike Glover. He's our founder. Um, and, he, you know, he has extensive experience in the military. He was a CIA contractor, uh, entrepreneur now, runs his own business. Um, and, and, you know, his message was inspiring, but that's not where I found him. I was following uh, another YouTuber that I, you know, I just enjoyed watching his videos. He started a new podcast. Mike was his first guest on his first episode. And I remember listening to that thinking, man, this, this guy's pretty sharp. He's got some things figured out. So then I went and searched for him and I found the infamous Get Off the Bench video, uh, which is the one that inspired a lot of people to join Amcon. And so I did. Um, I jumped in feet first with what I knew, which was communications. Uh, that was my career field in the Army. I've, I've done a lot of work with that since leaving the, the Army. And um, I, I just I volunteered and went headlong into helping get communication systems set up. And that one thing led to another. And here I am. It's beautiful. It, that video, the get off your, was it get off, get your, off took the a, bench? Get off the bench. Yeah, get off your. <laughs> took a sh. <laughs> took a sh. <laughs> Are we using profanity on the show yet? I'm sure at some point we'll finally at break the point. seal on that one. With 14 years in the Army, and there's a lot of our members who do have a military background, just as much as there are going to be those that are attracted to what we're doing here at American Contingency who don't mm -hmm. have that background. So, how do you see our organization making a difference in helping communities prepare for emergency? season disasters? Well, I, I think the big thing that maybe the single greatest skill in preparedness is um, mindset and thinking through the problem. So I have two quotes that I, I like to use a lot. One is from the first is from General Eisenhower, where he said, plans are worthless, but planning is priceless. Meaning that the process that you go through to create the plan is far more important than the plan itself. Because, as General Patton said, and later, oh man, his name just left me, the boxer, Mike. Mike, Mike Tyson? Mike, Mike Tyson. No plan survives first contact with the enemy. Mike Tyson said, everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth. Point is... You can make a plan, and as soon as the practical elements of life are injected into that plan, it, it goes out the window yeah. because what you thought would happen doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. But because you went through the process of planning, you are better prepared to react to those differences. I mean, I'm, I'm going to ask you a question now. Have you ever had a dream that you remembered later? Oh, yeah. So how can you remember something that didn't happen? 
first, well, the mind doesn't know the difference between what is reality and what has just been made up. Right. So if I go through an exercise and I make up a scenario and I practice how I'm going to respond to that scenario in my mind, my mind thinks that's as good as doing it in real life. Now, I don't build the muscle memory that it takes to actually move and and do the things I need to do. But in terms of preparing myself for that contingency, for that event, that's as good as actually experiencing it. And that's the process that Eisenhower was talking about. And it, it puts you into a mental state where, you know, when those cues occur and those, those triggers happen and you recognize, oh, this is this moment happening and you've already gone through that in your mind, then your brain can go to the filing system and say, OK, pull out the checklist for, mm-hmm. you know, for event X and pull that to the forefront of your mind and hand it over and say, here's what you need to do. And you start doing it, right? That's the value of planning. And so, you know, for those of us that have military experience, and it's not limited to the military, it could be Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts. I learned a lot of this growing up on a farm. Don't take the tractor down there if you don't know how you're going to get out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah, me too. <laughs> you know, plan plan that ahead of time. What is the contingency to get those t- that tractor out of the mud? Right, because if you get stuck, <laughs> Daddy that's our you. recovery vehicle. So, okay. you know, it's, it's a process and it's a learned skill. It's not something that people are necessarily born or gifted with. Some, like anything else, some people are better at it than others, but all of us can learn it. And by learning that, we can walk away with a process in our pocket that helps us face uncertainty with confidence. And that, you know, if all of our members said, you know, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I'm okay with it. Mm-hmm. That's the confidence. That's the goal. You know, it makes me think of this study I remember reading about where a basketball team was split in half. Half of them were told, you get to practice free throws. The other half were told, you just get to imagine in your mind practicing these free throws. Mm-hmm. They did that for a week. They came back together, and the improvements were equal. They, uh-huh. they both actually, and this is what we're talking about, about daydreaming it in your head. Ah, but let's move it out into the real world. How do we, American Contingency, work to engage and empower our individuals within our nationwide network of communities to actually take an active role in their disaster preparedness and responsive responsivism. Sure. We'll go with that by actually going out and doing things with their bodies in order to get that muscle memory from buying goods to training, to building their new skills. There has to be a time where it goes out of the mind and goes into the body and actually is something that they're actively doing. Right. So we um, actively and uh, strenuously, encourage our members to get off the couch and put the keyboard down, get off the couch, go do some work. No greater connection, no greater relationship is built than those that we make face to face when we, you know, we meet and work and especially eat. And uh, there's a a whole line of psychology behind this, but when we're able to break bread with one another, that that really creates these strong and powerful relationships. And those are the people that you care for, that you will get up at, you know, 930 at night on a holiday weekend and hitch up your trailer and go drive to pick them up three hours away. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, those are the relationships that we're after. And we do that, you know, by encouraging local chapters and teams to have have training and 
events and cookouts and, and things like that. But we're also doing it by encouraging our members to plan for natural disasters and not only responding to their own, but to respond to other people's disasters, right? So we're in the process of building out disaster response teams so that, um, and, and we're, you know, we're using the CERT model uh, that, that comes from FEMA. Mention that again for the, but some people don't know acronyms the way you know acronyms. Sure. So the CERT model is, is a community emergency response team. And, and it's just a, it's a program that FEMA put together to help um, it's really to encourage the structure of small teams like we have. And, and it, it's kind of based on neighborhood watch and, and, but you know, the idea is that people in my community, in my neighborhood, if something happens, we get together and we, we know how to do a, a quick, a hasty search around and make sure everybody's accounted for and shut off the gas. So there's no explosions and, you know, it's things like that. And we know how to call for help and what they need and how to help them prioritize that help. By doing that, um, we're able to practice and put to practical use the skills that we've been training far sooner than we would if we mm-hmm. waited for an emergency to happen upon our neighborhood. Yeah. Um, and in, you know, as an added benefit of that, we're able to help our communities. Um, and show them the value of teamwork and being part of a network as well. We're touching upon it, but I want to hit it head on right now. There's a lot of preparedness, readiness kind of information out there, especially on the socials like Instagram and TikTok. I talk to people about what Amcon does. For those of you who aren't completely confident with what I'm saying when I say AMCON, that's just American Contingency for short. Let's make sure that we're perfectly clear about that for the next 300 episodes. When people tell me, hey, I've watched Instagram. I know how to can some food. I know how to plant a vegetable garden. I've already got myself this community on Instagram and we're always commenting and we're always talking on there. And I'm like, that's great. Those people are everywhere. Where is your immediate connection and where can you begin to actually build relationships outside of your state so that if your car does break down in Mississippi, people will drive you to Pennsylvania. What do you have to say to those people who are like, yeah, man, I'm all over the socials. I know how to keep my preparedness game going. I'm telling my family about all the cool stuff that I'm storing up. Yet I know in you know there's a lot of holes if that's the only plan they got well there are a number of stories we can you know paths we could go down with with this but i'll go back to 2011 um the the area here where i live in north alabama we had um a tornado outbreak that day all three of the main power feeds feeding our community were damaged and we were without power for 11 days now fortunately it was i think it was in april the weather wasn't too bad. It wasn't too cold, wasn't too hot. Spent a lot of time outside. Um, got a lot of stuff to clean up. Um, but eventually, the generator that runs the cell towers will run out of fuel. And when the power's out, there's no fuel to go refuel those generators. And when the cell towers quit working, I mean... Do you have a landline in your house? I don't. <laughs> what is this, 1987? <laughs> right. You mean phones come with wires? <laughs> you you caveman, you. Um, when the cell towers go down, where do you get your information? 
How are you going to reach out and, and call someone? How are you going to recharge your phone? Right. And so a, a lot of people realized that, you know, in that two week period, man, I'm I'm behind the curve here. Um, you know, another great example that I hear quite a bit is because, I, you know, I'm personally I'm into ham radio, but we have uh, Amcon is fortunate enough to have a very vibrant ham radio element community. Um, you know, and a lot of people will say, well, you know, when things get really bad, um, I, I've got the radio and there won't be anybody to enforce the rules. I'll just do what I need to do. I'm like, great. What frequency are you going to tune that radio to to give me a call? Uh, well, I don't know. Like, exactly. That's why you have to practice ahead of time. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and the final thing that I will say is, um, you know, and, and, and sometimes we're hesitant to talk about shooting related things just because of, you know, the, the, the nature of that. But I, I grew up shooting things. I spent 14 years in the Army shooting things. Um, the first time you pull a trigger on a new weapon system, it's nerve-wracking, and I don't care how many triggers you pulled. You know, have I done everything right? And, you know, have I loaded it the right way? I mean, is this, is it going to work? You have to practice that. And, and if you don't like the shooting analogies, baseball, tennis, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. basketball, right. you know, we've used that example. The first time you throw a ball at a hoop, you think you're going to hit it? <laughs> I didn't. Even Michael Jordan didn't. I'm sure Tiger Woods whiffed too a lot when he, he was He will three. tell you. Jordan will tell you that he met, he knows the number. I I missed X number of shots more than I made in my career. Yeah. And he knows the number. Yes. That's the power of actually taking action, which gets me to this question is like, how, how do we gauge how well the new members who join and even the members who've been here for a while are actually utilizing the network whenever they come in. It can be like the, the website's vast. There's a lot there. How are we gauging the amount of, of resiliency and preparedness that we're helping people gain by joining the network? That, that's a fantastic question. Um, a, a couple of ways. Uh, you, you know, generally that resilience comes from experience right and and the experience comes from training and doing and learning from that process so we create as many opportunities as possible to learn and to do um, and we've got we've got processes and programs that measure your progress through the training but really you know for the individual member it's up to you to make sure you are making progress toward your goal you know, I, I, I said in the uh, in the pilot, I think we've got 12 different categories and nobody's going to be an expert in all 12. I picked communications. That was my that's where I'm comfortable. And I did a deep dive into communications. Well, I, I need a I need a secondary. I need some and I need some basic skills in the other areas so we can provide you the grid, you know, the checklist that says you need these skills in these areas to be you know, a, a basically functional. And then, you know, if you want to go deeper than that, um, that, that's kind of horizontally oriented. And then if you want to go deeper, that's vertically oriented where you can do a deep dive into one of those categories, one or more. 
um, and, and get trained. We help people track that and we give them the opportunities to test and use that. There's a lot of collaboration going on at the local level with our local chapters, with other, let's say it could be law enforcement, mm-hmm. it could be first responders happening at a local level so that the first responders and the local police network, they know that American contingency is there and that, we, that we're there for good. I know that the media has probably talked about American contingency to a certain extent and maybe not as favorable of a light until that recently was shifted and changed. And whether we want to touch upon that now or never, that what we're doing on the ground actually proves who we are as an organization. And to speak upon the collaboration that we've had around this country with local law enforcement and first responders. Yeah, I I think one of the greatest stories related to that comes from two Christmases ago where there was a, a tornado outbreak again that went through Kentucky. And there was one town in particular it was about a week, maybe 10 days before Christmas, and th- these people's homes were destroyed. I mean, literally destroyed. It was close enough to Christmas that, you know, for most people, Christmas shopping was done, the gifts were wrapped and under the tree, and now they're all gone. So not only did they lose the, their home and, and everything that they had, you know, in a lot of ways, they lost hope. Because Christmas is a great opportunity for hope. And we were able, you know, our our members always give very generously when we ask. But in in this particular circumstance, one of the local sheriff's departments had been doing a toy drive the whole holiday season. You know, they had plans how they were going to distribute those. But when they heard what we were doing, they gave us all their toys. (sighs) Wow. And we were able to take those into that community there was another another group there. They made a meal for all the residents, and we were able to stock a like a Christmas store where the families could come in and just take whatever they wanted and replace their Christmas. And we were able to do that to a point where we had leftovers. People gave so generously that we had more than enough that on the way back they were they were looking for places. They were looking for toys for tots, drop-offs, to be able to distribute, you know, more of these toys into more communities. You know, that, and that's one of hundreds of stories. Yeah. Um, as your as your eyes get glassy and there's a collective awe that just went out across the nation listening yeah. to that story, how beautiful is it that a network that was started in the YouTube comments of a former Green Berets video can now be having this amazing impact. It's just a few years after he told everybody to get up off the bench, people not only got up off the bench, but they saved Christmas for this community and was able to reinstill this hope for a, a great end of year, beginning of a new year. You know, I, I think, especially given the events of the last you know, a few years, five or six years. I, I think a lot of people have become very jaded, uh, m- maybe withdrawn some and said, you know what? It, people are crazy. I'm staying in the house and uh, you, you guys do you, I'll do me. And, you know, we'll just call it even. And, and I think that that story is a great representation that that's not who we are. Yeah. I mean, that's not just not who AMCON is. That's not who we are as a people. That generally people are good. Um, 
generally when you ask someone for help, they want to help you. Um, and when the ask goes out and we can recognize a legitimate need, we'll pull out all the stops. Yeah. And I, I, you know, that's the heart of uh, America and American contingency, but it's not limited by the, you know, our, our national boundaries, but that's the heart of society that we want to pull out and elevate and encourage and, and make more of. Yes, we do it. We do it through preparedness. We do it through being able to talk about life's critical moments and the, and the crises that come up in a person's life. But the reality is that's, that's what we want. We want to elevate people, both the people in need and the people who are serving. And, you know, if, if we create moments and opportunities to do that and we can see good in other people, we can get back to a place where we can have difficult conversations. Yeah. Um, and, and still know that it's okay. I hear that America needs to move back to those traditional values that we used to have. And when I hear that, I, I ponder back to yonder days of post-World War II, 45 to, you know, maybe mid-50s going into the 60s where we really was the white picket fence. Like, there's a lot of hope. If we're going to begin to get ourselves back to this illusion we had of what we were back in the day, it starts by realizing that we're all people looking for warmth and food and safety and security and start speaking to one another with kindness. And it starts with each interaction that we have at any given moment of the day. I agree with you. I hear that quite a bit as well. Um, I, I think to some extent that vision of America is an aspirational vision. Rockefeller did, wasn't he the one with the paintings? Was, Rock, um, was it Rockefeller? Rockwell. Rockwell, thank Rockwell. you. Rockwell paintings. We all remember those. Norman Rockwell. Beautiful. We, yeah, we, we want the Rockwell moments, mm-hmm. right? Um, did those ever exist? I don't know. Long enough for him to paint them. <laughs> um, so aspirational outcomes are not bad we mm-hmm. can we can work toward those and and the problem is you and I have, have talked extensively about this over time but if I don't have a goal that I am working toward then I'm just wandering mm-hmm. and, and you know there's this great sign that shows up from time to time this mean all that wander are not lost I I agree I get that I understand that but you know if you don't have some aspirational outcome that is driving your decision making, then you're not really deciding. You're just waking up and floating along with the floatsome and the jetsam and whatever mm-hmm. happens, happens. And Let the tide take me where it must. Right. And, you know, for some people, oh, okay, that's fine. But if everybody were that way, <laughs> then we wouldn't have anything. Right. And, and so kind of goes back to what I've, I've said before. I don't, I don't expect or want everybody to be an expert in everything. I don't want everybody to be turned on and ready to go to work at, at you know, 24 hours a day. But, you know, things happen. And, and a lot of those things that happen are outside of our control. And more than anything, what I want to do is help people reduce the anxiety that they feel about those things. 
right? Anxiety, I, I heard it said one time, anxiety is worrying about worry, <laughs> right? And well, what if this happens? Well, what if that happens? Well, you know, what if you get hit by a bus? Oh, well, I just won't cross the street anymore. Well, that's not practical, though, <laughs> is it, right? You have to live your life. And in living your life, things are going to happen. You're going to have an accident in your car. You're going to get a flat tire. Your kid's going to break an arm. I mean, things happen. It's not the end of the world. But at that moment, it's a crisis. I used to spend a lot of time listening to the, the local police scanner, right? And one day I realized, you know, every time that alarm goes off for that fire department, somebody is having a crisis in their life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a heart attack. It's a stroke. It's a broken arm. It's a gunshot. It's a car accident. But somebody or their house is on fire. Somebody is having a crisis. And once I realized that, I was way less interested in listening to it because these are just terrible moments in somebody's life. Somebody is having potentially the worst day of their life in that moment. Yes. And so that's going to happen to you. My dad's not in great health. He calls, I, you know, I talk to him almost every day. And there are days where I call him and he doesn't answer the phone. And after he doesn't answer the phone two or three times, I get in the car and go up there. And the whole time I'm on my way up there is like, well, I wonder if this will be the time I find him, you know. Yeah. That might sound kind of morbid, but that's, you know, we're all going to die yes. at some point. He knows he's going to die. I know he's going to die. We do things to try and reduce the probability of that being today. Yes. <laughs> you know, um, but what do I do? I've thought through that process. And, you know, maybe sometime when we have a, a lot more time, I'll tell the story about my son and the process that I went through with him when he passed away. But that, you know, we need to think through these things just just by saying it's not going to happen is, does not make it not happen. No, no, just that's makes just denial. Unprepared. That's just, that's just denial. Right. I mean, uh, and if you want to live your life that way in the floatsome and jetsum, it's kind of like when the hurricane's coming and they say you need to evacuate. Okay, now you really need to evacuate. Okay, last call. If you don't evacuate now, don't call us. We're not coming to get you. And then inevitably, you see them on TV and the the news helicopter who I think should be landing to try and help the people instead of taking pictures of them. But at any rate, you see the news helicopter, and there's, here's people on top of the house. I'm like, did you not think it was going to flood your house? <laughs> it makes me think of that one. Uh, what is? It's not a riddle, but it's a joke about how the person on the roof of their house is praying to God for help, yeah. and he sends a couple helicopters and yeah. a couple boats, and then he gets up to heaven after drowning and being like, God, what up? And he's like, are you kidding me? I sent I boats helicopter and boat. helicopters. Yeah. What more do you want? There is personal responsibility associated with that. And I know the, the little story that you're talking about, and I tell that story a lot. But the reality is, and, and a lot of people feel this way. Well, you know, if it gets really bad, the government will come get me. The police will come get me. The fire department will come get me. Let me tell you about that tornado in 2011 when all the power was out. The sheriff put out a message. If it's not bleeding and it's not burning, don't call us because we're not coming. We, we and, have and not to their fault. Not to their fault. No they they had every single officer deployed. We, and I've done the math, and I, I would challenge our listeners to do this math. Find out how many law enforcement officers live in your area. 
and divide your population by that number. On a good day, if every single law enforcement officer was deployed, that's one law enforcement officer for every 630 residents in this area. And that's if every single one of them is deployed. But they're not, right? They, they work shifts, and everybody doesn't work every shift. So we're, we're more like 1,200. Where's your problem in the priority queue of the other 1,199 yeah. people? That's what you have to assess. And, you know, if, if your feelings are hurt because your neighbor won't get their dog off of your yard— they ain't coming out for that. They ain't coming. Let alone to bring you water and food. If you've if you've broken your arm, but you're otherwise ambulatory, they're not coming. It's up to you. And and so there is a great degree of obviously I preach this message a lot. There's a great degree of personal responsibility that goes along with preparedness. There is. And that's what we're going to touch upon when we come back for episode three. It's a brilliant question about how, and we've touched upon it. We go from border to border. We go from coast to coast. We've got like four different temperate zones in the United States. There's a lot of of specific tailoring to our members' needs based off their geographical location. Come back for episode three so you can hear how that answer is brought to you by our executive director, Tom Rigsby. As always, we are helping people move from uncertainty to a level of certainty so when you're ready to build the skills the network and the confidence to be ready for whatever comes next join us at americancontingency.com talk to you next time bye bye